This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. And with me today is Hans. Hans is still muted, still adjusting his lights. Yes. Hey. I just got, I just got fired today. Isn't that what? fun? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got unbelievable. Today, well, so cool. well uh, we have Brendan back on the show. Brendan, I dressed like you to honor you this evening. You're muted right now. I can't hear you. You got to hit the unmute button. It should be right next to your. Okay, there you go. There we go. Dude, Wonderful. I was gonna say that's a sick jacket. <laughs> Thank you. I got a few like this, uh, but I wanted to wear it because you know, Tales from the Mall is is one of our great podcasts that we have Thank going you. on today. And Thank uh, you very much. I'm very happy to have you back on the show. Uh, we've had like a little bit of a back and forth over the months about she hate me from time to time through Twitter sure. or or IG. And then I, I go to my local Dwayne Reed, which is like uh, Walgreens around here. And what do I see in the bargain bin of the DVDs? I see She Hate Me, four ninety nine. That's quite the steal. Oh, yeah. Couldn't pass it up. Um, so I, I got this movie. I rewatched this movie maybe for the first time in, in quite some time. And then I watched it immediately afterward with the Spike Lee commentary. And it was uh, very informative. Oh, so, I'm curious what he had to say about it. Well, he had a lot. He always has a lot to say. This was like right before his uh, alcoholism kind of overwhelmed his personality. And he started like speaking. um, Well, there's some stories that came out of NYU about him saying, uh, what was it? It was uh, some some K-word shit to something a student was saying because they didn't like something he was saying when he was teaching a class and he showed up uh, intoxicated. I don't know. He's quite the character, especially these wow. days. Um, but we're going to be talking about Spike Lee. We've talked about Spike Lee a little bit on this show before. Um, what What is your your history with Spike? Do you like Spike at all? I, I do like Spike. Um, this is something I've talked about with, you know, I, I was challenged by a friend, um, Howling Mutant, uh, regarding Spike Lee, you know, who said he was basically just a hack, you know, is there really anything, you know, does he have anything really sophisticated to say? And I mean, I guess the answer is no, he doesn't have anything sophisticated to say, but he is just kind of a an interesting artifact of like 90s independent filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And he's got, he's style, I mean, he's stylish. He is. And, you know, and he kind of, you know, I'm not, I'm no... I'm no, um, you know, like diversity, you know, uh, you know, mealy mouth diversity uh, advocate or whatever. Like, you know, I, I say let our let our best filmmakers rise to the top. But it is interesting to see what, you know, what somebody who is kind of like weaned on, um, you know, like Scorsese and and um, Woody Allen, but also I think maybe. I don't know who, like, maybe, like, mm, the Soviet montage, you know, I don't know what his, what his pedigree is, but it seems interesting to see somebody come from, like, that film school background and, and try and weave in whatever, like, African-American perspective they have. My favorite movie of his is probably He Got Game. Oh, yeah. Um, which I, it, because here, here's, here's the thing about Spike Lee is that he can kind of do whatever he wants. You know, there's no because he because he's exceptional in that he's like one one of the most you know the only prominent 
black filmmakers, or at least he was. I'm not up to date on who we've got now. But, um, you know, he could do whatever he wanted. And so it's, it's interesting to see kind of like his eccentric, the, the, eccentric, the eccentricities that he, that he brings to the table. He Got Game is like, they're kind of outrageous entertainments mm-hmm. is how I look at his movies. I think that is, so I've been working on this documentary on the side, uh, in addition to editing mass state lottery and, and shooting music videos and a bunch of other stuff. And, um, there, there's really, you know, you can break decades of cinema down that were shot in New York to a couple of different auteurs in terms of like, that's the image of New York during this time. And I feel like 1970s is unquestionably it's Martin Scorsese, um, with Taxi Driver, Mean Streets, and uh, what what becomes even though it's nineteen eighties, like King Comedy and, and uh, After Hours, etc. And I feel like nineteen uh, eighties doesn't really have that one pioneer, but the nineteen nineties has Spike Lee, and the nineteen nineties refocuses the idea of New York City away from Manhattan and onto Brooklyn. And that I feel like is so much of my idea of what New York was during that time. And also just like the idea of the idea of like a lot of just culture in general, like in, in the Northeast. Um, You know, I, I think I've told this story before, but I was a young man. I was a young lad when I was, uh, you know, four or five years old when Crooklyn came out. And uh, I was a big fan of this show called Gullah Gullah Island. And Gullah Gullah Island was about a black Caribbean family, and they had like a big yellow frog. Now, Hans, you want to pull up this big yellow frog real yes. quick so everybody can <laughs> see? This is the benefit of they doing a live puppets. show. Yeah, it's No, it wasn't a puppet. It was a man in a suit. It was like a Barney yellow frog. And um, the mom of the family had braids in her hair. And so I was combing through one of those penny catalogs where, you know, you mail like a nickel and you get five videotapes back, right? I'm only like five years old, four years old at the time. I see a woman with braids on the cover of Crooklyn. And I go, this is Gullah Gullah Island, the movie. I'm going to love this film. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I had my mom send away for it. And that was my first exposure to Spike Lee. It was not Gullah Gullah Island, the movie. Uh, There you go. There's the family shot right there. So I thought this was, uh, what was her name? Like Zelda Harris or something? or No, Alfred Woodard. Yeah, not quite. Uh, and you want to just pull up the, the poster to Crooklyn real quick? So that was my introduction. That and he appeared on Ghost Rider, the PBS series. Sure. So Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> yeah. now that you mention it, you know, my, my introduction to Spike, yeah, that does give me Gold Gullah Island vibes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, They're visiting their aunt in the Bronx. <laughs> were, were those commercial? were those Nike commercials that he that's, did? Oh, that's right. Tim yeah. Hardaway and, you know, and then him being on the sidelines with like Knicks games. Yeah. So um, he kind of played a certain character in this movie called She's Gotta Have It. And then he like loosely recreated that character for a bunch of uh, commercials with Michael Jordan, um, Mars, yeah, Mars, Mars Blackman. Yeah, yeah. So Close there's a, a t- yeah, yeah, a ton of those. He just did one recently. We watched on the show, and it was kind of painful to watch because depressing. Yeah, he's yeah, because he's old now and very he's old. Like, he speaks oh. very slow. He's not quite the same Spike Lee, but um, he got game. 
That is definitely one of my favorites of his. It's one that I wasn't too familiar with until two, like somewhat recently. I had watched it, I think, back in the aughts, and um, I I hadn't really absorbed it in the same way. That movie I kind of cite as like a transition of style. I think you can take a look at, um, I don't even really consider She's Gotta Have It in School Days part of like the, the, the Spike Lee texture of the early 90s where you have Do the Right Thing in 89. Then I believe he does Mo Better Blues in 1990 or 91. Jungle Fever Jungle shortly Fever. after that. that. That one is terrific. Uh, Crooklyn follows that. And then he kind of steps away from what he's been doing for a while and tries something different. That's when you get like, uh, what was it called? I think it was like Get on the Bus or something. It was yeah, that's a Another great Man one. March. Yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic movie. That, that that may actually be my favorite because that one is so diff. So to me, now we're getting, it, it, it's, it's weird because there's not many, many movies that take like this, middle class african American like black perspective that get, get on like very very race conscious mm-hmm. but middle class and and not like from the street you know not it doesn't take place in the hood and you know people aren't you know it, it's about it's about guys with jobs and and families and and there's and it addresses some of those like issues that exist within the black community that previously weren't talked about like homophobia and and islam and race mixing from their perspective yeah 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 yeah. and it comes out the same year as another movie he does which also kind of gets glossed over which is girl six have you ever seen girl six no no no. it's uh it's kind of a weird anthology film pseudo anthology film where you have um the name of the actress isn't coming to mind, but she plays the wife in Spawn, the live action adaptation. And um, it's she she becomes like a phone sex operator because she's a failed actress. And then you have like all these weird vignettes that are shot on video with Hollywood stars. So you have like Peter Berg getting horned up on the phone with her and Michael Imperioli is like a sick rapist on the phone yeah. with her. Like, I'm going to come to you. I found your 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 apartment. He doxes her or something before doxing. Mm-hmm. Um uh- for people yeah. that are not familiar with Get on the Bus, would you guys mind if I play a little clip of it? Sure, why not? I don't think anyone's going to clip us over Get on the Bus. Oh, there we go. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> fuck, I ruined, I ruined my joke because I didn't have the sound ready. God damn it. Well, <laughs> God damn it. Every day you are first person on my bus. And I wouldn't kill. He's got no place to go, just rides around all day. So it's a free country. I'm a person. I buy my bus pass for 40 bucks and I'm first always, so that's why I'm first. Yeah, you're doing it on the government dole. Why don't you do something useful in your life? Okay, Henry. What a call, man. She's, re- Dude, by she's the way. retarded. Henry Chi is retarded, Henry. How dare you? <laughs> it's like, you know, you're I not. Just, I want to say, she, she crushes it there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He's killing <laughs> it. I wanted to replace yeah. Alan. Ellen's over. I say it's time to bring back, bring back Rosie. Rosie. Hey, Top hey, Gun's hey. out. You could have Tom Cruise as her first guest back. It'd be and he'd great. be jumping up on the couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. On her. Yeah. Uh, that would be terrific. Uh, so, yeah, Girl 6 is also like a little uh, step in that direction. He got game cements that. And then everything that occurs around 9-11, mm-hmm. his style changes again. and gets a little more commercial. Yeah. And you have 25th Hour. 
And that's probably the start of it. A lot of people who who don't like Spike Lee will say, oh, 25th Hours is best movie. That's yep. a good yep. one. And it is a good movie. It is a good well, movie. You're, you're skipping it, Bamboozled. And Clockers. Oh, classic, classic Bamboozled. And classic Bamboozled, where he gets Michael Rappaport to wear blackface. <laughs> yeah. And Clockers. Mm-hmm. That was supposed to be uh, Scorsese. He winds up producing that movie instead. Well, uh, yeah. It's yeah. based on a book by Richard Price, who wrote the script for uh, Color of Money, the Scorsese film. Mm-hmm. And he wrote the script for this great Scorsese short film called Life Lessons, which is in the New York Stories omnibus film with Woody okay. Allen and Francis Coppola. I've been meaning to check that out. I haven't seen it yet. I've been, um, I was watching. Last time I was in Massachusetts, I had um, access to like Comcast. And so there were a bunch of older Woody Allen films on like Tubi and Amazon and all, all this different stuff. And I was watching like two Woody, two Woody Allen films a night because of this. And I, I went through a whole lot of just random ones that he's not even really in. They're just forgotten that are the same movie repeated a few times. Mm-hmm. And New York Stories was next up on the list. I've heard mixed things about that. I think most people say... Uh, the Scorsese one is good, and then the Woody Allen and the Francis Ford Coppola ones are not so good. Here's my thought on that: is that the that the Scorsese one is great, the Woody Allen one is good. It's very funny. Larry David is actually in it, hmm. and uh, it's a so so okay. So the Scorsese one is called Life Lessons, and it's about this like abstract expressionist painter played by Nick Nolte, who has an assistant who he was fucking, and they're not fucking anymore and so he gets all jealous and then um the woody allen one is about a guy who hates his mother and she disappears one day and then she actually comes back and she's like twice the size of the largest building in manhattan so she's just a giant looming over him all the time and then the scorsese one um is is about is not the italian guy really the coppola one one is is not good it's um it's about uh a girl who lives like in this like quirky it's just like about a quirky little girl basically okay very strange movie i'll keep that in mind when i throw it on do you have any uh interest in megalopolis um is that is that a coppola thing that this is coppola's uh big swan song ending to his career where he's putting like one-tenth of his net worth into this movie uh and he got uh, adam driver's gonna star John Voight's going to be in it, and then a couple of other people. I look forward to it. Yeah. It's supposed to be some, like, giant science fiction blockbuster. Um, Hans, you know, you are not so well-versed on Spike Lee, but I know you're a tremendous no. fan. You love The Five Bloods when we covered that on this show, right? No. Uh, no. <laughs> you got to get I, into I, that I, microphone. Your, your volume is very low. Oh, sorry. The movies I've seen recently... Uh, from him has uh, i think has only then yeah five bloods and this one oh and and old boy that i watched like half old hour boy. of it for oh. because because i i guess i had to uh and uh no i didn't like <laughs> either of them so no <laughs> i hear you guys waxing poetically about him and shit and i'm just well, like, we haven't gotten to the any. movie of the like, i didn't see any yeah i didn't see is... any of that in the two movies that i saw from him recently at all what, like I was saying, he, his style changes again. He goes a little more commercial with uh, 25th Hour. And then this is a couple of years after that. And it has a similar vibe, I think, to, to that movie and to 
a far lesser degree like Inside Man and just the the other films that are sprinkled throughout this particular decade in uh, Spike Lee's filmography. And I remember watching this movie, She Hate Me, and thinking, I hate this movie. This is his worst movie. I can't believe he made this movie. And then I saw the Anthony Mackie sperms. I didn't even have a sense of humor about it. I was just like, this is fucking horrible. Why is he do, why do, you do this? <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed with of this superhero movie. superhero music in the background. The <laughs> yeah, like he went so it's over like, the top with it. I was just like, I love do the right thing, and then I watched she hate me, and it's just like, how is this the same guy? I don't I don't understand what happened here. Um, yeah, so I was very confused as to as to if we were supposed to be laughing with the movie, or if we were supposed to be like, oh, this is funny because this guy sucks. <laughs> the filmmaker kind of sucks. I think it's so both. It's funny. I, I think it's both. So Bamboozled is a bit like this movie where it, it gets confusing. Like, what is the... All right, is this intentionally like this? Or is it sometimes intentionally like this? Or is it just bad? Right? And well, also because I think I think it sold as... Yeah, American comedy drama. Uh, so I was like, all right, so I guess it's funny. But I didn't really get the funny. And then whenever a joke was very obvious that they were going for a joke, it was kind of not much of a joke. So it was like, I don't understand where the humor is supposed to be coming. Or I don't know. It didn't land with me at all at any point. It was fucking two hours. It was. Two, it, two it, hours. This is like two movies in oh. one. We'll, we'll, oh, we'll get yeah. into that. Uh, Brendan, what is your general stance on She Hate Me in regards to Spike Lee's filmography? Mm. Um, well, he, uh, it's, it's certainly an unusual movie. Um, it's, it's not his best by any stretch of the imagination. I think, um, it's, uh, somewhat incomprehensible in terms of what it's yeah. trying to accomplish, but, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and it only obfuscates any kind of like psycho, psychoanalytic approach you can make to his movies regarding him and his personality because um it's so uh, it's so weird like but i think that it's an interesting experiment it's so odd how he's trying to i'm assuming trying to make you laugh and at the same time it turns into like a weird trying to give like a political message that was really lost on me completely by the time that well he he had militant derangement syndrome in the middle of shooting <laughs> oh, this yeah. movie. So, oh, okay. I, you can see that you can see that the man has no sense of humor I yeah think. like like it's not you're right it's not funny and it's somebody who's like trying to be funny who's not but in a way um yeah i don't like i i don't like like the Anthony Mackie sperm and whatever is just like so ham-fisted. Yeah. The, 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 I, it, it's a movie that really, really doesn't know what it is or what it wants to be. The most interesting part is the middle chunk where he's impregnating the lesbians. Is it? I, that's what I think. Because when it because, becomes an, an episode of Hung. Or, yeah, uh... yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, I mean, that's it's just like otherwise, who cares? You know, I mean, like you've got this German science. It's so. What are we supposed to think of this, like German scientist? Like, I don't right. know. It, it, it feels like a guy who, like, 
trying to draw who can't see. Hmm. Don't you think? Yeah. Well, he's certainly trying to fit in this message. Like, what he really seems to be possessed by is this idea of I have to alert the people that Enron is evil. How do I fit this into a movie about a sperm donor? Hmm. And it's just like extremely ham-fisted in there. And it kind of deflates both. I mean, the movie, the the smarter movie, right? The smarter movie um, is the lesser movie here. If he just Absolutely. plays it like a silly, I got fired from my job. Now I'm a sperm donor. That's yeah. a killer idea. I love that idea. Um, but everything else is just a weight on this movie. And um, it kind of kills it. So he did the commentary track right before the 2004 election. So he's talking about hopefully we'll have W out of there and this and that. Like what, he's Al talking Gore? about politics. Yeah. Well, no, it was this John Kerry. election. It was John Kerry. Oh. <clears throat> so <Which> worse. <laughs> well, Al Gore created the internet, so he's True. got at least that right. to his name, right? So that's a ugly wife. That election. <laughs> Just... <laughs> that election was November. That election was November second, twenty fourteen. It was two days before my eighteenth birthday, so I couldn't vote. Mm -hmm. uh, but but I, I would have voted for John Kerry despite, you know, because I just, everybody hated Bush that I knew yeah. because of the Iraq war. Oh, dude, I was depressed when I, because I was convinced. I was just a child. I was like 14 years old at the time. I was like, I voted in the fake little junior election at school. I was like, Kerry's got this in a walk. I'm watching MTV voter die, P. Diddy. People oh, voting yeah. for John Kerry. Nope. I woke up that morning. I was like, we're going to have a new president. It's going to be great. And then I saw Bush one. And I was like, what? What? what, what, what huh? And I was I was depressed. I was sad. I was like, how could I be? How could everyone be so wrong to do this? How and can then, Fat Mike be wrong with that album <laughs> he made about George Bush being a criminal? For it's no just, it, 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 I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, for all of his shortcomings as a uh, as a, uh, uh, a head of state, just the fact that the economy was okay mm -hmm. and and people have always believed in my lifetime that the economy will suffer under under a democratic regime you know and and that was something that was easy to ignore in my like little circle of high schoolers who hated the iraq war which i mean you know the iraq war was like it was hard to see what our interest in it was mm. but it didn't it did not have an effect on normal people's lives. Have you come around to George W. Bush? <laughs> um, not really. I mean, as a president, I, I certainly haven't, but I find him uh, pretty adorable as a human being. He's, these yeah, days. he's an adorable guy. I mean, I don't know. I would, I would have liked to. You know, he was because he was against my boy Trump. I was still mad at. Him. Oh, that's well, he right. He was so. Yeah. He was always yeah. kind of a like a dumb old man, right? But now he's just older. So he looks frail. So you're kind what? of like, oh, it's just like this redneck old man. That's well, cute. Well, so many people, so many liberals were obsessed with his incompetence. Like mm -hmm. they thought that he was retarded. They, 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 I couldn't, like I was still going to parties when I was a, a in college and people were doing like a, like a Will Ferrell style George Bush impression. Like it was really funny, which it right. was not. He but, wasn't. Um, he wasn't good either at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Didn't Will Ferrell put out like an HBO special as George W. Bush in 2016 or so? Like, 
yeah. 15 years after the fact, like when everyone's just tired of it. Um, there was some <laughs> clip. There was some clip recently where uh, everybody was passing around. It was like, can you believe, you know, because he's giving a speech on Russia or whatever. And he was like, oh, uh, uh, something like weapons of mass destruction uh, in Iraq. And he said Iraq instead of Russia. So he said something along those lines. Yes, yes, you're right. And um, I, I, up until that point, up until I saw that clip, I've been like a little bitter with George W. Bush, essentially for the same reasons as you. Where it's like, oh, yeah, people have kind of just whitewashed his legacy. It's very easy to like see him as like a lesser evil or whatever compared to Trump because everybody's in a fervor over him. Uh, but just his recovery to that. Uh, may, won me over because he acknowledged how much of a fuck up that was and how yeah. just hilarious that was. I was like, you would never see that with Biden because Biden doesn't know he's making mistakes. And they're like the same age or something now, aren't they? So, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, here's what I didn't realize is that is that George Bush is the profligate son of a noble line of Ameri- of, of white Anglo-Saxon Protestant right. American, like like George Bush, George H. W. Bush's father, um, was and was like powerful man mm-hmm. was a powerful man. Um, his I think his like his granddaddy, both granddaddies were powerful. I mean, he he goes way back. Like like his his dad was like friends with like Alan Dulles, the the guy who um, you know created the CIA and was like the first. You know, I don't, there was John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles. I don't know which one was the, the head of the CIA, but I read, I read a book called um, Family of Secrets about the Bush family. And apparently George H.W. Bush was in Dallas when um, uh, John F. Kennedy was killed. And uh, so there's some kind of like, and, and was employed by the CIA. He denies he was employed by the CIA. There's evidence that he was. I don't know any, what any of this means, by the way. I'm just. And then that I'm, I've heard this. Yeah. Yeah. The dynasty died with Jeb, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You, can't, yes. you can't name your child Jeb and expect well, you know, him to um, not be a Jeb. <laughs> well, I, is it Jeb's son or, or there's there's a Bush? There's another Bush. Oh, uh, is there? Who's, well, who's yeah, like, they, they tried to like reboot the George Bushes, right? There was a George Bush the third, I think, who mm-hmm. tried to run for governor somewhere and he failed. He didn't win. Yeah, yeah. So, but Spike, but Spike Lee, you know, he 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 obviously felt it would lend some, maybe felt it would lend some prestige to his film mm-hmm. that was otherwise a sex comedy. Right. Yes, I think he tried to. Um, I, I think it's just it's not even really a noble failure. It's just kind of a confused, uh, uh, borderline personality mess mm-hmm. where it can't decide what it wants to be for too long. And I feel like the last 45 minutes of the movie just becomes that sort of commentary piece on all of the the corporate corruption and tying into everything else. And I don't know. It's just, uh, I do think it's kind of an interesting piece in his filmography. Just as far as like how outrageous and over the top it is. It is up there with like bamboozled in terms of how cartoonish he decided to go. Uh, and I don't think there's really any. I mean, he kind of stops with the the outlandishness. I think at this point in his career, and he he like knocks it off and tries to play it straight as a commercial director doing like Inside Man and Old Boy and all that. Yeah. And then 
I don't know. I don't know how Inside Man performed, but Old Boy was obviously a big flop. And that's not even really. Some people argue that it's not his fault. He certainly argues it's not his fault. It's like <laughs> his one. It's his one movie where it doesn't say a Spike Lee joint at the beginning is like a message that the. I think uh, who was it? I think it was like Neon or Focus Features. Uh, kicked him out of the editing bay, took over and did their own version of the film, which seems to check out. Um, but I don't know if his competency level was even there at that time. Because you take a look at his other films. I, I, well, he did Red Hook Summer in 2012. Did you see that one? I did not. I, 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 I'm so... Like, Inside Man is like the last of his films I've seen. Hmm. Well, I I quite like Red Hook Summer. It was a very small budget movie where he wound up getting like a lot of stars before they were stars like um this guy who was in Candyman and zola was in there and he actually uh reprises his role as mookie from do the right thing in it the the one problem with red hook summer though which is otherwise a, a pretty enjoyable film about so there, there's a there's a twist in the movie an m night Shyamalan style twist that really betrayed the critics and the viewers trust so it's about these two kids who get sent away to their grandfather's house in Brooklyn. And they have no relationship with this man. They've never met him before, but they're like eight and 12 years old. They're young kids. And uh, he's a pastor, right? And uh, he he runs like the, ch- the local church or whatever. And then about 80 minutes into this one hour and 45 minute movie, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's holding court in the church. He's doing a sermon or whatever. And then this black man comes up. And he's like nervous and shaking and sweating. And he just starts screaming, you raped me. You molested me. And so like this, this lovely male character you've gotten to know for 80 minutes is out as a pedophile. Holy shit. And, it, and the the whole, he takes a turn kind of similar to Jungle Fever where it's like, is this really like, this is the movie you're doing? Um, where he's like, no, I haven't done anything since I changed. I turned over a new leaf. I've changed. I'm not a molester. He doesn't like put the moves on the young boy or anything like that. It's just like, I'm not a pedophile anymore. And then that's how they beat his ass and stuff. Like the gangs, the local thugs beat him up. And he's just like, not, he's not a pedophile. The remainder of the movie, he changed. Um, and it's interesting. I don't know. It's a kind of, kind of a, another weird movie he was doing during that time. And I have a signed poster for Red Hook Summer from him because I contributed wow. to a, a Kickstarter campaign for a terrible movie, a really, really awful movie, bottom tier along with this, uh, called The Sweet Blood of Jesus, which is a Ganja and Hess mm. remake. And um, much like the child actors in Red Hook Summer, it's just like he got two people off the street to perform his lines of dialogue and it doesn't work at all. I see uh, did you see Black Klansman, or is Inside Man really the end of the line for you? Really, it really is. Well, I haven't seen Black Klansman. I, I'd like to. I've heard good things. I, 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 my opinion on it changed on a second go around, and he ends it with like a Trump montage or something with clips of the real David Duke. But otherwise, you know, it seems like when he has financial backing and someone looking over his shoulder, uh, like an actual company, he's capable of doing quality work when he's left to his own devices it turns to shit um and same was with do the right uh, not do the right thing uh the five bloods that one kind of falls apart because he had more creative freedom well it had the same thing that this one has at the end of it where it it tries to give you like a, a message by doing man on the street interviews that look like 
shit. I don't know what he records that those with, but they look horrendous. Uh, and on the Five Bloods, there's like a montage of like terrorism and shit that that just feels like an old man trying to make a point, but he's not sure what the point is. He's just like putting it out there. Hopefully, someone will get it. Uh, and and I feel like this movie does that a little bit when it's trying to do like the anti-corporation or anti-pharmaceutical company whatever thing. We're just kind of like, oh, oh, he he's trying to give a message in this movie about this man that fucked a lot of women and got them pregnant. Like I, that's that this connection of the of the two things for me, and that happens on the the five bloods too. So Hans, at this point, what is your opinion on Spike Lee? I have to, I guess see his best movies to get a better understanding as to why everyone thinks of him as such a revered director i guess because what i've seen i mean i, I think i saw uh do the right thing a long time ago in like hbo or something when i was a teenager but i have very faint memories of it so i can't really say uh if i enjoy that one or not but uh the two that i've watched recently which was this one and the five bloods I was just like, okay, so he's old now. With the five bloods, I was like, okay, so he's old now, so he's lost it. So that's probably why. But then this one, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I guess maybe we just picked two wrong Spike Lee movies for me to to enjoy, I guess. Uh, definitely. So who do you think gives the best performance in this film, She Hate Me? Q-Tip. <laughs> I like Q-Tip. He's very subdued and very real. I wish he was more in the movie, more than Anthony Mackie. I would have liked him to play that role instead. But uh, yeah, I think you too. I, I like. I mean, I got no problem with Anthony Mackie to be honest with you. I mean, he does a good job. Um, what's the lady's name? Carrie Washington. Carrie she Washington. Does, she does a pretty great job. She's very attractive. Um, and you know, Anthony Mackie is the Black Jay Corrales. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's what oh. I was thinking the whole time I was watching. Pl please unpack this. I would like to hear the the reasoning here. <laughs> I don't know. How many women? Kind of, how many kids you guys, do you? I have? look like Anthony Mackie. Yeah, I think is you there? look like Anthony Mackie. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, I mean, he's our, he's a good looking guy, you know. Sure. Yeah, that's not the worst comparison again. You know, this thing. Uh, did the, I got really, you know, the thing really tensed up my, you know, sexual racial anxiety you know he was um you know he was screwing all these women dude my a great see th this is what was best in the movie like when all those like the the queen latifah looking lesbians oh yeah show yeah. up that was excellent when she gave him like a red bull and a yeah, couple yeah, of other things yeah she's just, just like figure it out throughout the film <laughs> yeah yeah like, um that was hard get some energy drink on your penis yeah and um, he's, um, yeah, he does. I think Anthony Mackie does a, a, a he he services the film well. I yeah. agree. I don't. I don't think he's bad at all. I don't think his acting is bad. He seems to be under the impression he's in like a real movie and he's acting yep. it. Yeah. Um, so I mean, so does kind of Woody Harrel. Uh, Woody Harrelson is pretty good for what limited role he has. He was doing a lot of off type roles around this time. You know what I just watched recently is um, Michael Cimino's. The Sun Chase, which I think you brought up before when we had uh, you on the show. Is it, uh, do you, I, no, did you see I, that I one? don't know that one. No, that's his final film. Um, oh, wow. It was uh, it was some like so he plays um, like a high profile surgeon in Los Angeles and he has to um, 
he has to like help this murderer who's Native American. He's got uh, cancer. He's on chemo and this and that. And then he kidnaps him and goes out to the desert or something. He has to bring him to a reservation. And it's such a peculiar film. Uh, and I guess it went direct to video in the U.S., but was like it was nominated that, for for something major for like the Golden Lion or whatever. In... That cover looks direct to video. Let me tell you that even worse than direct to video. I think that looks like a Tubi original. <laughs> you don't like that? Do you see it? So Hans, that could be you. We could remake this movie right now. Who's the Native American guy? Uh, I don't know, but he's on like Chicago PD nowadays. Ah, well, you know, I have I have a history with Native American cinema. And, That's uh, right. Yes, we were uh, we were talking about Gary Farmer a little bit a couple of episodes back, and you were hanging out in the chat. And yeah. uh, so, well, buddy uh, of you, mine. Yeah, you wanna you wanna just go into that a little bit? Yeah. So I worked for a company that um, dis- distributed, um, you know, was produced and distributed um, Native American documentary content. And so my, the company that so they were really hooked, linked up with like natives in Hollywood. Chris Ayer was on the board, the filmmaker, Chris Ayer, who made smoke signals. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and Gary came in the studio one day and they're like, well, Brendan, you love that movie dead man, <laughs> which I did love that mm-hmm. movie. Um, you should interview him. And I did. And, and he cried during the interview and, uh, and, 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 and I, I was friends with this guy who took acting classes from Gary Farmer at the, uh, there's a, a, a native, all Native American art school in Santa Fe. And he said, yeah, Gary was my acting teacher. And I was like, wow, that must have been amazing. And he was like, well, he's like, you know, Gary's kind of an emotional guy. He would cry in class and he would get so worked up. He would kick us all out of the class. But, but when I knew Gary, his thing was, was that he would too, he had a blues band. Okay. He played harmonica in this blues band called Gary Farmer. And like, it was like called like Gary Farmer and the Troublemakers or something like that. And mm-hmm. so in order to get people to play in his blues band, he would have a screening of Dead Man. And then you'd go to the screening of Dead Man. And then when it's over, he'd do a little quick Q&A and then he'd start blowing the blues. Ah. And um, yeah, I, I, I saw him play a couple times. And, um, you know, I met a lot of people from like, you know, you know native americans are a small group of people in the world much less in hollywood so i you know i knew all the people who you know uh, all the actors and stuff you know graham green west studi do you know the guy uh, you know the guy with a tear with one tear commercial do you know that guy was he oh, native iron, even oh iron eyes cody he was italian oh, he was italian wow yeah yeah, yeah yeah uh that's Dark. funny okay. there's, there's a great documentary called the real engine r-e-e-l and it talks about kind of like the history of native americans in hollywood and about all the fake natives and and all the and and the navajos that they used in like westerns and they talk about the people you know the uh, the native filmmaker you know like kind of the native new wave which chris air was a big part of Mm -hmm. yeah i watched smoke signals for the first time this past year and uh i really i found it through like an uh, Siskel and Ebert review because I was just in a in a loop of Siskel and Ebert reviews that were uploaded to YouTube and that was just one of the films they, they were covering. And I was like, I, I don't know, I'll give that a shot because I remember there was a big Native American moment in the 90s where everything was just Native American crazy and then it dried up. 
Yeah. So it was like 98 or 99 hit. Nobody cared anymore. But 1995, maybe it's because of Pocahontas or something. I don't know. But you Robert had a Redford. lot of those types of movies. Yeah. So well, Robert Redford was like really into this cause. Um, the There was a shootout um, on the uh, Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota uh, at Wounded Knee, which is a very mm -hmm. significant place in, in you know, like in U.S. Native relations and this guy Leonard Peltier was jailed for killing an FBI agent, and um, and so he made a documentary about it. And he also funded a film called Thunderheart with Val Kilmer, um, which came out at the same time as the documentary, directed by the same guy. Uh, I think it was um, Michael Apted, maybe. And uh, very good movie that takes place on a reservation in South Dakota with Val Kilmer as a half Native FBI agent. Who, is, who experiences internal conflict. I wonder if that's responsible for his late life Native American turn. Because <laughs> uh, he just seems to dress like a Native American lady these days. Well, I think that some of, these, some of these guys, these like Hollywood actors from the 90s, they, became, they, they were kind of obsessed with Indians, like Johnny Depp. Mm -hmm. He... he um, used to say that he was Native American. And right. some people were like, you're not Indian or whatever. And he was like, yeah, maybe I'm not or whatever. And he, yeah, there we go. Oh, wow. Well, you know, well, you know, Val, he, he lives in, he lives in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And New, that's and why New, I was going to say he's got very New Mexico. And New Mexico is things. one of the most native places in the country, along with here in Arizona and, and South Dakota. Okay. Look at those pants. <laughs> what is he <laughs> writing in his pants? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what that's. It's very jokery. Yeah, he is. Know? He is kind of a joker figure. Uh, did you see the new Top Gun? By the way, he pops up in it. Not yet. I heard he was in it. He is in it. Uh, what does it say? Hello. Is that <laughs> they don't have him says? talk. They all right. Oh. So here, here's the thing. They don't have him talk when he does pop up, and then they do have him talk, and when he talks, that is not Val Kilmer's voice. If anybody oh, has watched the documentary, Val. You know, he cannot really, he sounds like Hans's impression just a moment. Yeah. That's your best impression, Hans, is Val Kilmer killer. now. Yeah. I was like, is, wait, did you guys get Val Kilmer? <laughs> Special guest, Val Kilmer. Um, Let me burn you with my cigarette. That's, uh, yeah, that's sad. I think that's sadder that they just dubbed him. Is it someone that kind of sounded just like he used to sound uh, like? No, it's kind of, uh, you know, Nobody's noticed hey, this. Hey, Goose! Is that something <laughs> <Yeah>. like that? <laughs> that's like a video game dub. It just, There's like, a Chippendale Rescue <laughs> Rangers <laughs> voice actor. Yeah. So, that's, so the, that's guy, the, the guy that plays Goose's kid, he looks he looks like Goose. Is he also Anthony Edwards' kid? I, I don't know if Anthony Edwards is capable of producing children. Uh, I don't know. No, he's, he's uh, they got Miles Teller. Hollywood star oh, Miles oh, Teller. Incredible. I didn't recognize him. Yeah. They should have just brought... Anthony Edwards back. Do you see what came like out? As a what, dream. Do you use, see what, what? Use the force, Maverick. <laughs> he just appears. Yeah, he yeah. appears in the sky the as we're flying. Yeah, <laughs> Anthony Edwards. Do you guys see that? Apparently, Miles Teller had uh, like um, engine fuel in his blood. Like he got really sick because of that. Because for whatever reason, he <laughs> oh, God, had engine blood. Because of Tom Cruise's he, ridiculous standards that you have to learn how to fly a jet before you can act in his movie. Yeah. No, I didn't see this article. Can we just take a look at it real quick? Yeah, hold on. I just pull it up right now. He jet fuel in his blood. 
uh, he was covered in hives. But the funniest thing was the Tom Cruise quote. So he went to tell him, uh, let's see, he was covered in hives, head to toe, blood analysis. Uh, and apparently he had, okay, he was like, uh, Tom, it turns out I have jet fuel in my blood. And without even skipping a bit, a beat, Tom goes, yeah, I was born with it, kid. (laughs) (laughs) This guy was sick because of that. Like, he had hives and he was dying. And Tom Cruise is like, yeah, that's funny, pussy. You know, he's probably wearing (laughs) aviators and gave him a thumbs up, too, as soon as he finished saying the line. Walked off with his back turned to Miles. He was just coughing and covered in pimples. Man, (laughs) it was an enjoyable movie, though. I I quite liked uh, Top Gun Maverick. It was a fun time at the cinema. I can't wait to see it. It was uh, a lot more enjoyable than Crimes of the Future, I'll tell you that. I want to go see that. Really? Because the, the, the um, you know, the literati are gushing about it. Yeah, well, they, they do anytime Cronenberg comes out with a movie, right? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. It just kind of felt a little incomplete to me. But I, I haven't been too hot on uh, a lot of his work post A History of Violence, um, which is like the standard opinion. That's not really interesting to say, but it's the truth. Um, I, I don't know. There's things I like about it. I liked all the practical effects and the weird sexual gore stuff. Um, but eh, eh, I I don't know. I I I didn't I didn't regret paying for a ticket, but um just about, you know. Uh but Top Gun Maverick, that was an enjoyable time. So I uh, to answer your question, Hans, they got a raspy voiced actor for Val Kilmer. So anybody who has seen the Val documentary would know better because there's no way he can sound remotely clean. Uh, But it seems like nobody did watch that documentary because nobody's bringing this up. People are just saying, I cried during that scene. I was so sad during that scene. I was just thinking, it's not really Val Kilmer talking. That's some some guy who's probably paid very well. Did they get like a raspy voice black guy? Yeah, they should have. They should have got Keith David. What's cracking, man? (laughs) You got a little little seat for me. Oh, man. You got 14 bucks on you because I I think uh, Val Kilmer is pretty awesome. I think he's pretty great. I like Val Kilmer. I like all the stories about Val Kilmer being an asshole in a set of movies. Yeah. I see him. Yeah, yeah. There's um there's one from I think Island Doctor Moreau where he was just bothering a sound guy and burnt his ear with a cigarette and like slowly put the cigarette to his ear to see if he would move at all and he didn't move and then he just burnt him. Jesus. So he would do stuff like that. <laughs> wow, he's a psycho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this was right after he played Batman, so he's on top of the world. You know, he's at the, the peak wor- of his career in the worst Batman movie. Quite yes, frankly. yes. Uh, you think it's the worst one? I think it might be the worst one because it doesn't, it doesn't commit. Much like She Hate Me, it's two movies in one. Yeah, you know? and and Tommy Lee Jones just absolutely sucks. Yeah, he's he sucked all the air out of Jim that movie. Carrey too. Yeah. yeah, but you expect no, that Jim from Carrey, Jim Carrey. Yeah, he goes hard though. Like you know, Tommy Lee Jones, he didn't realize that yeah. he had that he had um, an obligation to embody a character. And not just like, I don't know. There, there were there were problems with Tommy Lee Jones in that film that that I can't even comprehend. Well, his his performance be a cartoon, was... be wild. That's that's I guess the direction that they gave him. He was just not the Tommy Lee Jones that anyone's seen. But have we seen a performance like that from him ever? Never. That, no. That seemed to be like his his. He seemed to be 
two times in or three times in his performance from Under Siege. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. It kind of just felt like he watched that first Batman movie with Jack Nicholson and was like, oh, that's how a villain acts. I guess that's what I got to do. Um, it's completely bizarre and red. I don't know. I, I remember not thinking anything of it at the time. Me neither. But um, it doesn't make sense at all. Uh, I, I don't know. And it does kind of spoil the movie. Uh, maybe he was just trying to, like, fuck with Jim Carrey or something. I know he, he hated, hated Jim, Jim Carrey. Carrey. Yeah. He couldn't sanction his buffoonery. Right. <laughs> right. On. right. But, uh, well, he's he, Jim Carrey's method, right? He goes like full on crazy. I mean, I, after watching that uh, documentary where he plays Andy Kaufman, I was Jim like, and oh, Andy. Fuck this guy. Oh, I hate yeah. this guy. It, it's very difficult to not like detest him a little bit over that, where he's like having a, like a seance or something with Andy Kaufman's daughter, who stupidly just like showed up, I guess because she never had a father, just went along with it. <laughs> And this guy's just doing an impression of her dead dad. That's kind of well, that's just, weird and dark. He's just being a dick to the crew because he's supposed to be playing like a a dick. He's just like, don't be a fucking asshole to people that are working. And then for it, you. and then it rubs off on like the nobody actors, like the extras who just play small roles in the movie, where suddenly they're in character. Like I think that I think there was a clip with like the guy who plays Andy Kaufman's father in the movie. Just starts doing what Jim Carrey is doing essentially, and is like, "Yeah, I'm Andy. I'm actually Andy Coffin's real dad. I don't even know." He's dead <laughs> at the time. It's just a problem. Uh, yeah. So. But uh, it's funny when I was a kid, I I, I thought, "Oh, Batman Forever is just as good as all the other Batman movies." Same move, same. And and then it got kind of got around to Batman and Robin. I didn't wasn't a stoke. Now I think Batman and Robin is better than Batman Forever. It's at least more interesting. It's more entertaining. Well, it, it is goes for it. There's fucking ice skating fights. Yeah, that's pretty sick. <laughs> a lot of my... So, yeah. I was going to say, a lot of my memory of Batman and Robin, I think, and why I maybe prefer it to Batman Forever is the marketing campaign around that was just insane. Between the Pop-Tarts and like the, the Corn Pop cereal, you had to get the uh, Mr. Freeze uh, purple Pop-Tart and the Batgirl... Uh, whatever cereal and and everything else, the action figures galore, and finding out that way that that movie was coming out, just walking down a Toys R Us toy aisle and seeing a Bane action figure, I was like, "What the hell? You're doing a Bane movie?" When I'm like six years old, that's crazy. So I have a very preferable opinion of Batman and Robin compared to Batman Forever, which, um, even in retrospect, I think it's a more consistent film. It's yeah. a stupid fun. There you go. Yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about. These Pop-Tarts were delicious. I had every single kind. I got Taco Bell cups with Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze because I went to, like, New Hampshire or something. Grab those. Mr. Freeze is on... Oh, shit. Someone cut the power. What do we do? That's Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you own a jacket that kind of looks like that? Yeah, probably. I got two of <laughs> <laughs> A Letterman jacket? Yeah. Yeah, a red Letterman jacket. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So, <laughs> because I, I don't think you've ever spoken about the Batman and Robin, because what we usually bring up is the Batman Forever toys, right? With the big question 
uh, sign. That was like the big marketing thing. I, I don't remember. Yeah, they were selling giant plastic question marks. That's what kids were buying. They were playing with giant question marks. <laughs> That's right. That that was their toy campaign. No. Um, yeah, no, Batman and Robin had like twice the, the, the commercial marketing campaign that Batman Forever had. But Batman Forever was critically well received and it was like the biggest batman movie at the time i think it was the top grossing even outgrossed the original 89 one so people had an impression for a very long time that this was a great batman movie and there was really no context to that because maybe for 1995 it was but uh in retrospect it just becomes more and more difficult to watch yeah i agree i agree uh do you have a favorite of the bunch i do um well, you know, I think um, I think that first Batman with Jack Nicholson is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, uh, the yeah, everything about it is is so. It, it's the you know, I mean, Batman Returns is a full on Tim Burton film. Yeah, but the first Batman, it's a little toned down. Yeah. Tim Burton. But there's some great scenes, like when Jack Nicholson goes to the, um, uh, you know, to the, to the museum. It's like one of the best scenes of all time. Is that yes. where he's painted? When, when, yeah, yeah. when his face is painted human <laughs> instead of white, it looks fucking weird because he painted his face that color. Yeah. Isn't you know, I, I've heard, uh, so I, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole recently. Apparently, you know, I was aware of the fact they wanted to bring back Nicholson's Joker a few times uh, when Schumacher was going to direct a fifth Batman movie there was going to be a Batman with I think they were courting Nicolas Cage's Scarecrow and then there was also like fake rumors of Howard Stern playing Scarecrow Madonna was going to be Harley Quinn or Courtney Love that could have been very I don't know it could have been something uh, and they wanted to do a Jack Nicholson dream sequence cameo much like what we were talking about with Goose in Top Gun nice. uh, where he comes back because Batman's on fear gas. And uh, that, unfortunately, uh. never happened. So that that's almost what we would have gotten. But that was one attempt. Somebody, one of the original ideas for Batman 2, and uh, this is, I think, when Daniel Waters, who did Heathers, wrote the script, um, was they were still toying with the idea of like having Harvey Dent and the Penguin Bee Brothers or something, or, or some, some idea like that. They were mm-hmm. messing around with what they wanted to do. Uh, there was a script where it opened to a courtroom trial and Harvey Dent had the Joker on the stand who was in a complete body cast. And, uh, you know, he broke every bone in his body and then somehow he blows himself up and that's how Two-Face becomes Two-Face. So that, that was one version of that. And then what I also learned, which could have been really interesting, is they wanted to do essentially Joker back in 2000 or 2001 when he was doing the pledge and it was going to be Charlie Kaufman writing the script and Spike Jones directing. It was about the Joker coming back one last time out of retirement. They went over to Jack Nicholson's mansion and said, Hey, we want to do this movie. Are you into it? He's like, yeah, let's go do that. Uh, and then Charlie Kaufman got scared or something and said, I don't know. I don't know if I could do this movie and it never happened. I would love, I'd love to to, see a neurotic Joker written by (laughs) Charlie Kaufman. Mm-hmm. That, so that, that actually sounds yeah, yeah I think that, that could have been a lot of fun I think that could have been interesting I don't know yeah I agree uh, well they've, they've really misused that character I feel like because you've had uh, what two 
yeah, I don't, I'm not going to say Jared Leto because he's iconic for the wrong reasons, but you have he's two... the Hold on. He's the first two-time performer of the Joker in live action in a movie, Jared Leto. Right. What, what is it? Uh, uh, Birds of Prey and... Uh... No, he wasn't in Birds of Prey. They didn't feature him. So they just the two Suicide him. Squad ones? Is and that... uh, the Justice League movie. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, but, but I think because... Um... The two performances, Nicholson and Heath Ledger, are so iconic as, uh, compared to the rest of those movies, I guess. No, I, I do like the first one a lot. But um, they they really misused the, the Joker character. I haven't really um, explored much of it before the Joker movie came out. Because uh, you can do so many things with this blank slate, pretty much. You can come up with anything about his backstory or anything. Uh, and... In that time that we're currently talking about, like it was just like a bit character that was, yeah, a lot in the first movie. But that Heath Ledger performance, he's on screen for what, 15, 20 minutes, right? In that movie. So he's not even in it for that long, but it's just that Heath performance is so remembered, I guess, that it feels like the Joker has been in more things or like that they've done more with that character than they've actually done. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously not with the Joker and now with the musical coming out soon, I guess hopefully they'll start getting weird with, with these movies. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I feel like uh, they could have done more with, with this Joker character in the early 2000s, 90s, maybe. If they had the balls. They just didn't have the balls to, to take risks, really, right? When it comes yeah. to like, superheroes and shit. Well, they, I don't think they knew that they could do that. Everything was so connected. Like, I'm not familiar with the James Bond uh, franchise really at all. I've seen yeah. maybe like three or four of those movies. Uh, but do they, is it like a streamline? I know they like reset it or whatever with Daniel Craig and um, Casino Royale, right? But it, uh, I've been under the impression that to that point, it was like, oh, that's just the same James Bond the entire time. There wasn't like an idea that you get a new actor and suddenly that's like a new timeline that's been branched off, exactly. which is what everybody does now. Yeah, and they don't bring back villains or characters if they die. You know, like it's yeah, absolutely. But um, they should have a Chinese Joker. And he's like, "Haha, Batman, don't make me rap." <laughs> you know, that'd be good. But I'd like that. Who would you uh, cast as that? Uh, well, that I, that I couldn't answer that question. You know, I'll answer that you know, question. Hans Young. Hans should be oh, the right. Chinese Joker. We'll just put it like no, a Joker Elvis wig on you, and we'll dye it green. It'll be polyester. I think you could do it. Spike Lee. Have they announced who the new James Bond is going Spike to be? Spike Lee's Not Batman, and, he's, and his real name is Candelabrious Wayne, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't Bronx. think we're too far away from that. They just announced there's an Aztec Batman. In this Hell yeah, HBO that's Max. me. I'm going to be the Aztec Batman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a picture of him. It's like, like a little cartoon movie, self-contained, but he dresses up as like a stone bat in the movie. It's, it's just a stone cat, and his face is exposed. It's not very protective of his identity, but he's cool. the Batman. I'm the night essay. <laughs> <laughs> I am la noche. Nice. That looks cool. Yeah, it looks cool. Yeah. Very brown. Dude, that would fit well with my character that I created about myself, the Aztec Joker. That's right. They they should have they should have got you in there, Brandon. That, that was a big so missed sick. opportunity. Man. Oh man. You know I'm they the, did do I'm an outsider. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But the Joker's an outsider. That would have made it all the better, some would That's say. That's true. That's true. 
Um, okay, so I, I have a question about Spike Lee. Yes. What do you think that he is actually interested in? Hmm, that's a good question. Because it's hard to tell if that if he's interested in anything. You know, I think it, it, it always feels like it's like Spike Lee is working with alien subject matter. You know, that he's mm-hmm. like, it's like, okay, I'm going to bring something into the mix that I don't know, you know, that, that I'm, that I'm an outsider on, like, even, even with like a, he got game, you know, he's not a basketball player. He's a fan of right. the Knicks. Yeah. The movie's not about well, the which, Knicks. Which one do you think is his most personal movie? I think Jungle Fever, because I think that he wants to have sex with Italian women. Well, do you know the backstory behind uh, what prompted the idea for that, or what no. he says? Oh, no, I don't. So that movie, what, what's very interesting about Jungle Fever is he says this is not the case, but it kind of sends an anti-race mixing message that says, "No, we cannot get along," or whatever. Um, he says on the commentary track or some interview that it's no when you racially fetish, fetishize each other. The relationship will not work out because once that wears away, you'll realize you don't you're not really compatible with this person. Yeah. Um, but apparently, not long before that, his father divorced his mother and married a white woman, and it pissed him the oh. fuck off. So he went and wrote oh, Jungle Fe- uh, Jungle Fever, directed that movie, and that's why that movie is the way it is, why it ends the way it Interesting. ends. Interesting. How does it end? It ends with Wesley Snipes going back to his wife and the Italian girl going back to being Italian. Yeah, just just John Taduro, who's kind of a loser in that movie. Yeah. Actually, I don't even think that happens. I think he winds up with a black girl, right? So she gets nothing. She goes to her dad. Damn, he really he he really wanted to drive the point point across by casting the blackest man in Hollywood too, right? It's Mm. it's like he couldn't couldn't get anyone darker than Wesley Snipes. And he's got kind of a uh, like a Gordon Gecko, you know, like kind of like the '80s uh, power, you know, power fashion, yeah, feel to him. You, know? you get that in New Jack City, maybe most, I think, Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Uh, also, on the topic of uh, Spike Lee and Batman, from what I can remember, anyway, two marketing campaigns, two massive marketing campaigns, Batman '89, Malcolm X where the poster and all the billboards and everything else did not have the title of the movie. It was just an image. It was the Bat logo. It was just a giant X, white X, black background. Um, You don't see that. You don't see that anymore. Nobody was doing that really back then, aside from those two. That was at Warner Brothers. They were being a little daring with it and uh, created that kind of great uh, marketing iconography that made it so distinct and stick out. Do you still still see marketing like that, though? No. No, definitely not. People got upset when the Northman posters didn't have the Northman on the on the on the poster. It said Northman, it didn't say anything. It was just Alexander Skarsgård and the uh, abs. People were like, "This is <laughs> this is a mistake," and so they recalled all the posters in New York City and redid them. Interesting. Um, you know, I uh, I saw John Turturro in New York when I was there in November. So really, walking just into Prospect Park. He just ran into him out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, he was just walking on, taking a. Stroll. What do you guys think? What do you guys think of his uh, Marlon Brando impression? Great, in this movie? very good. <laughs> he must have worked on that. I've been watching his brother Nicholas Turturro. 
mm. play a Puerto Rican man um, in NYPD Blue for many seasons. Ah. And he looks Hispanic. He does. He pops yeah. up in a lot yeah. of Adam Sandler films, right? Yeah. John, John does. John does too, but Nick, uh, Nick certainly does. I know he he's popped up in like Big Daddy and Longest I think he was Yard. in a couple of Grown Ups movies. He was in The Longest Yard. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's a go-to guy along with like Chris Farley's brother. Oh yeah, and uh, a few other Kevin. people. Kevin, Kevin Farley. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, did he look the same as he does in the movies? Because whenever I see someone famous on the street, they never look the same. Except yeah, he does. Yeah, oh, he yeah. does. Okay. Oh yeah. That's good. That's good. Then when I saw Famke Janison from X Men. Sure. She looks very scary, scary as hell in person. Scary, really, very frightening. Because it's you know it works on the screen, but then you see like that much she, surgery she on the, the subway, shiny, right? I see. Very, shiny, like, shiny white. <laughs> yes, ah, it's your face. That's right. Uh, it was jarring. It was it was peculiar. So it doesn't always translate to reality. Uh, about she hate me though. Hans, we haven't heard much from you, the peanut gallery on She Hates. It's just me. like you've shit in Famke Jansen five <laughs> times in this show. Every time I you have, bring it up, you're like, she was so horrendous. It was a traumatizing horrible. experience uh, early in my, my New York City voyage here. Okay. Uh, sticks with you. Uh, did you have any, any uh, impression at all about the, the back and forth between the two different stories existing in this film? I, uh, one of the questions that I had was uh, if this movie came out maybe a year later, do you think they would have used Puddle of Mud's She Hates Me as a song in the in the movie? Because that, mo- that song came out a year or a couple of months after the movie. Honestly, it's a very, I can't like, imagine a Spike Lee movie having Puddle of Mud in it. <laughs> no, it goes with the title. I mean, they do say the title uh, as part of the dialogue, too. Uh, well, hold on. The title, say, there, there's a reason for this title, right? I think it was a basketball player that said, he hate me. Football player. Football player. And they talk okay. about it in the movie. They talk, he yeah. played, for the, he played for the XFL. and uh, The XFL. Wow. Yeah. And he, okay. that was his name. He hate me. He hate me. Rod Smart, I believe his name was. Okay. And, um, you know, and so Anthony Mack is like, He's like, you remember that guy uh, played in the XFL? Yeah, He's like, I remember that guy the XFL. And was it is that was that Q-Tip, his friend? Yeah. Who goes to the yeah. friend back? He's like, he's like, he's like, you know I do. Mm. And he was like, he was like, well, <laughs> well, Fatima, is she hate me? It's That's... it's such a weird pull. It's like it's like saying, hey, remember that cricket player? From India, from '84, that did some. I can't even think of anything that would do. That's he why does I can't that even... so much. He does it a lot, especially in his later films. Um, I know there's a scene in uh, uh, *Defy Bloods* where he does that, uh, and it's like the old men uh, chit-chatting at a, at a Vietnamese restaurant, and it's like all of a sudden, oh, remember such and such in 1960, and then he cuts to clips of it, or um, <laughs> you know, he does that in I think *Chirac* or uh, one of these movies. Uh, there's one, I think, also in uh, uh, oh god, there's some like track, some weird obscure track from 1992 from an R&B album that he references in uh, the Sweet Blood of Jesus, and it's like the most unnatural sounding dialogue in the world, which Spike Lee is really a master of his unnatural sounding dialogue, his fake camaraderie. Yeah, 
Well, that's because I just don't think he has camaraderie. Friends, with, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, he's and always alone at the games, right? I think that's a big tell that he doesn't have anyone to sit uh, courtside with him in the best tickets in the house, and he's always by himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, and I think, and, and so and so that kind of goes to my point, you know, that I was kind of like driving at earlier which is that what is he really you know it's it's kind of a guy who's really only his relationship to anything is with cinema mm -hmm. maybe yeah you know you know i just caught wind of his um his trademark gliding shot that he does in like every film i watched something much older recently i think from like the 70s or the 60s and somebody beat him to it someone someone did that so I, he must have drawn from that uh, you wouldn't happen to know off the top of your head where he took that from. I don't. Uh, damn. It's. I just watched it, I feel like, this week. if I Maybe I'll revisit my letterbox to see if I can pull it. But I was like, all right, well, there's nothing original, I guess, here except for his voice. Because he is, uh, to what you were saying before, I feel like there's nobody like Spike Lee, period. There's a lot of people who try to be like Spike Lee now. But his... I think what he's communicating in his films is so unvarnished by comparison where a lot of those guys like who look at themselves as like, well, I guess I'm the next one in line. I'm the next black filmmaker who's going to be like Spike Lee. Let me, I have to like meet these certain markers or do this certain method of storytelling, or I have to stick to like this kind of perspective or whatever it might be. There's an expectation in place that you have to tell this story. And I think with Spike Lee, that was not the case. He was just kind of riffing on whatever he was living at the time. And you yeah. got a lot of personal films and a lot of interesting characters and movies. Um, I got throughout the box. late 80s Hold and 90s. All right, well, we don't have to browse all my films. I was going to do that in private. What if I watch something what? embarrassing, Hans? <laughs> you did. What is this? <laughs> Monster Club. Yes. <laughs> what is uh, it? Maybe it was Subway. Maybe it was... Uh, no, it was. I think it was... Maybe it was Reds? I don't know. Warren Beatty? Yeah, I that'd just be watched amazing. That'd be amazing if you stole it from Warren Beatty. <laughs> yeah. Um, Reds was enjoyable. Reds is a good epic three-hour film, much like Malcolm X. Subway's kind of fun. That's uh, nice. Luke Besson. Christopher oh, Lambert. This, He's got the best-looking yeah. hair. Love Christopher Lambert. I just watched Highlander for the first time recently, too. And that is a, that is a very enjoyable movie. That's a very stupid, enjoyable movie. Nice. Does it hold up? I like Highlander. it. What do you mean hold up? It's Highlander. I don't know. I guess, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, uh, you're I right. paused. The, the, I was having this conversation because I was like get, getting confused. I was like, well, was he in the second Highlander? And and I think he was in the second Highlander, but I was getting confused because he was in Mortal Kombat, and then they mm -hmm. replaced him with James Remar. Yeah. And then I said that you know oh, somebody yeah. was like, what if what if every in every sequel they replaced. Christopher Lambert with James <laughs> Remar. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah, Christopher Lambert is great. But I, I can honestly say I'll never check out anything else Highlander because I I got everything I needed from that one movie. With yeah. yeah, Clancy Brown's a great villain. You know, the, um, the TV show's pretty good. Yeah, you might enjoy a show, especially because you were going through like a '90s kick. You know, with ER and what was the other show you were watching from around that time? Oz. Or was it just ER? Right. Oz was late nineties. Yeah, so you might you might like Highlander. Highlander the series on USA. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Nah, was... 
I, I don't know. I, I saw that they replaced him with, like, he shows up for the pilot episode. Yeah. And he's like, now you're the Highlander. And it's just something. He was a French actor. Mm-hmm. But, he's, uh, uh, did you ever see The Sicilian? No, never did. That's a Shimino, right? Yeah. That was um, not his penultimate. Maybe it was his penultimate. No, no, no. Uh, Desperate Hours is his penultimate. But it was right before Desperate Hours. And it's kind of like a loose. It's supposed to be a Godfather sequel because it's based on um, it's a Puzo Puzo's novel. book. Yeah. And uh, it sucks. It's horrible. It's a really boring movie. And um, it's unfortunate that it is. We did a show on it. And I think we ran out of things to say after about 12 minutes. So not one I would recommend. But yeah, uh, I know they did a Highlander 2. And then they did some like movies that were based on the TV show. And he came back for those as well. And he doesn't seem to be doing much these days. Uh, Christopher Lambert, at least in America. Then he went back to France and just started acting there again. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm. Is he in Belgium? I thought he was from Belgium. Lambert? I don't know. Matter, huh? No, he's French. He's, he's in a Luc Besson movie from the 80s. He's French. He's got to be French. Let's check out he's the French. chat. Let's oh, check yeah. out, let's, let's no, check he's out the American. chat. He's American. Well, yeah, he he's, a, he's a... <laughs> okay, but technically, I think like Refn was born in New York. Too. Mel Gibson was born in New York. A lot of these foreigners were born in new york and then they go immediately back to their home country uh he was in the blacklist Ooh, james That's spader christopher La- that would be a killer lineup for a 1980s film is james spader yeah. and christopher yeah. lambert uh not an nbc procedural damn that's depressing anything else what is this um yeah um I th- uh, a thing called The Creeps, which is a holiday movie that looks like mm. like a Kickstarter movie. Like that movie we watched on here. What was it like? Dana and Stephanie save the world, and it's just yeah, some guy yeah, yeah. shooting children in his some garage. horny some horny guy that so that freak. asked two women that he because he wanted to have auditions for women women yeah. Uh, uh, we've got here in the chat. We've got uh, from Matthew. Brochi. Oh, nice. You guys are discussing the work of Howling Mutant's favorite director, which you mentioned <laughs> at the start of the show. Uh, Austin Calloway. Hey, guys. What's up? Big fan of Brendan, Lores, and Haas. Wow. Thank you, Austin Calloway. Uh, talking about Pop-Tarts as well. I walked out of Highlander 2 in the theater, says Karen Cancer. Wow. That's, uh, that sounds terrible. So you went to the theater to see Highlander 2. How old are you, Karen Cancer? You must be a pretty old guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think Howling one thing Howling Newton would say about Spike Lee is he's no Ed Burns. Yeah, I, I, I saw you were getting into Ed Burns recently. You're getting into the filmography of Ed Burns. Was yeah, well, Brothers we, McMullen and such. Well, there was a Tales from the Mall that I just recently did with uh, Howling Newton where we where we really went off about Ed Burns. Mm-hmm. And what is the general consensus between you two on on Ed Burns? Uh, that he's that he's a mediocrity. Uh, who really made he made his own bed as far as he wanted to be a, he wanted to be a filmmaker he he could have been a big star i think as a, a in hollywood maybe mm-hmm. as a star, as an actor he was in one of the biggest movies of all time saving private ryan he was like with vin, D- vin diesel went on to be big matt damon went on to be big ed burns did not and there's and we speculated somewhat that maybe he has some personality issues 
I could see that. Uh, someone who starts out as like an indie director and is the star of their own movie, maybe yeah. not so easy to work with on, yeah. on a commercial blockbuster. And I agree with you. I think he's a much better actor than he is a director, although I haven't seen too much of his work. Um, uh, yeah, I was, lis- I was listening to your episode of Rare Candy mm-hmm. you did this week on Altered States. Great movie. Uh, that was a movie we watched on our other show, Civic TV. That was a big surprise for us. A lot of like good blue screening in that film. A lot of great uh, visuals from Ken Russell, sure. uh, who I was only familiar with until recently anyway, until like the past 10 years, as a 80-something-year-old celebrity Big Brother contestant who tried to climb the wall out of the house. He quit the show. <laughs> he just couldn't take it. I did not realize that. Yeah. I'm not that familiar with Ken Russell's work, but Altered States is a huge influence in me, as you can probably imagine. Mm-hmm. Like the isolation chamber, you know. Yeah, he's uh, he's great. Uh, Layer of the White Worm is another weird one. He's a he's you know he's one of those early uh, visual auteurs yeah. that I don't think uh, gets too maybe as much credit as he probably deserves nowadays. But Altered States sure. is the one everybody really seems to gravitate towards as far as uh, that goes. I don't know what his later career was like. Clearly, it couldn't have been great if he was on Celebrity Big Brother. Sure. It was him and Australian singer Leo Sayer planning to leave the house together to just escape the show. Ken, Altered State seems like it was a big would be a big influence on one David Cronenberg. Mm. I could see that, yeah. Um, um, I mean, The Fly is essentially a remake. Yeah, I guess it is. There's a lot of there's a lot of overlap there for certain. Um, and, he, you know, I, I was on a big William Hurt kick for a while. He's the best. He is so great. He is so uh, perfect at being William Hurt. And, you know, and he oh, just, yeah. I, when I saw, because uh, I, I was kind of disappointed with the new crimes of the future. We're going to do a show tomorrow, maybe, on uh, the original and the one that just came out. But I hadn't seen Cronenberg's uh, other films with Viggo Mortensen. I hadn't seen Eastern Promises or History of Violence. So I was kind of let down by Crimes of the Future. I was like, I'll finally give A History of Violence a try. And he pops up in that. He plays yes. kind of the weird brother in that film. And he's very good for the limited screen time he has. Yeah. Um, and it seems like he just kind of, it was a, one of these older actors who got folded into the system and um, I think he was just acting in Marvel movies at the end of his life. It's like, what happened to him? Well, he's in The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. He's in Avengers 3. That's the, that's what he's doing, which I guess is a better fate than what like Mel Gibson's currently doing, which is... Like a father stew. Every father stew. Well, I saw it. You saw it? You watched it? I did. Well, what did you I, think of it? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, um, was kind of exploring my faith, you know, and uh, a Catholic friend of mine took me to see Father Sue. Okay. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was it was uh, not... I, I, it is not Kevin Sorbo level... No. Re- ...religious filmmaking. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, was, it was pretty good. I mean, Mark Wahlberg is good, you know? I mean, I, I had no problem with it, honestly. There well, was, now, there was not a Mexican family that was crying while... <laughs> <laughs> or whatever when i was there I, we were I, I was i was met you know i i was i was one of two mexicans in the in the screening ah. when i went yeah okay well yeah. i mean in astoria you know it's quite uh south america is quite hispanic around here sure. so it's just a given for any feature you go to but especially a catholic feature oh, well yeah. they're gonna mm-hmm. and on easter they're gonna show up they're gonna be there uh, I thought it was just a simple film. I didn't really have it. I, I 
enjoyed my time out at the movies, but when they put that fat neck and face on him and he couldn't walk, <laughs> man, I just started belly laughing in the theater. Oh, man, yeah, interesting. I didn't have a reaction to it at the time, but now that you now that you mention it, it's pretty funny. It was Dude, I lot. thought that it was like it was like a warning to our to the generation of of uh, like alt right guys, where it's mm. like you, you know if if you start chasing after Latina pussy, you're gonna end up in the clergy, you know, with yeah. the, with your legs, you know, not working. Or <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess that is the uh, the overall message of that film. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, he goes for like a five in that movie. She's not ugly or anything, but it's just like, this is Mark Wahlberg we're talking about. Like the real father suit they show at the end of the movie, that guy, I can believe, would go after that chick. But Mark <laughs> Wahlberg... Five, huh? Well, for, I mean, if you're Mark Wahlberg, you're probably... You're yeah. grading on a, on a pretty harsh scale, I would yeah, assume. But, anyway. but, okay, but think about this stuff for a second. Mm. You're Mark Wahlberg and you're a movie star, okay? Yeah. That's one thing. You're just Mark, you're just Mark Wahlberg and you're like my height, you know? <laughs> uh, maybe. Uh, you know, like I said, she's not bad looking. She's not a bad looking gal. Yeah. Um, but it, it was just an interesting pairing, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that's fair. That's you fair. just, you just not for the Latino women. That's what it what? is. What? No, that's not true it. at all. I, look, uh, they're I, up now, there now, for me. They're second learned, place. What I've learned through the show, through listening to your show, because I'm a fan of the show. And I've tried not. I've tried not to be too sick of fanatic on. <laughs> you know, oh, this is the best. You know, sometimes that comes across as like I'm trying. You know, like I could just be trying to get a permanent spot, the permanent fixture, Mike. You know? Yeah. But um, that you are that you're in, you kind of got the yellow, yellow fever. Well, uh, this is all. This is an urban myth that Hans <laughs> and others have no. perpetuated over the years. Look. Just because I haven't been with any white women <laughs> since 2013 doesn't mean. Why? I wonder what happened with a white woman that kind of kept you. <laughs> Just repeated bad things. Difficulties, yeah. life difficulties, one after yeah. another. That's all that is. Well, we Who know. So, 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 Jake, I mean, Lores has yellow fever. Jake has Latino fever. Yeah, he well, can, he's in can, Texas. Yeah, he cannot see a, a skirt with, like, slightly brown skin because he's like, yeah, that's that's going to be my wife. Well, <laughs> he's I'm, the, I'm... Steve Little and, and Kenny Powell. <laughs> yeah, he's bounding he's down. Bound down. <laughs> I'm that, that should have been Mark Wahlberg's wife and father's, too, is the is Steve Little's wife on He's Bounding Down. Pull her up real quick if oh, anyone yeah, she... doesn't know who we're talking about. I do. Yeah. But uh, I'm back on white women. I'm all in on the white ladies. Why? Why? What caused this turn, Brandon? A, a white lady. A white. Well, that's that like how it starts, I guess. Yeah. Uh, any particular strain of white woman? Do you like a Mediterranean? There you go. That should have been Father Stew's almost white. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good. That would have been she a good. She seemed movie. like a nice lady. Yes. She's I mean, very nice on this show. Yeah. She doesn't speak at all. I don't think she has what like three. Oh no, she, that's not true. She turns into an asshole at the end, right? She is, she is starts uh, bullying Stevie and, and cheating on him or whatever. Yeah, that's not good. Man, um, for me, yeah, but, Ajay, I like. I don't know. I, not Mediterranean, European, Western European, Western hair. European. Okay. Yeah. Western European. Yeah. What about you, Haas? What do you like? White. Yeah. <laughs> I've always, yeah. My girlfriend is it was born in the States. Uh, 
uh, yeah, but she's not white, right? White. She's white, yeah, white passing, I guess. What is she a Latina? Yeah. See, there's some overlap, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but are you dating? Dated, dated. I've only dated like white. I might have had a romance with a uh, therapist. With a, she was no, no, she was sixty. She was from no, Singapore. Han. With a, Hans, with, let him finish. With a, yes. I'm dying to hear this. This is so insulting. Um, I might have had a a fling uh, for almost a year with a 37 year old. I was like 20 or 21 at the time with a 37 year old businesswoman, Japanese businesswoman from Russia, and oh, wow. uh, she was very. Not very wealthy. She was pretty wealthy. Had, had a pretty high up position. And I remember when I was trying to do a movie when I was like 22, um, she was trying to help me get it off the ground by introducing me to a producer of The Amazing Race. So, <laughs> nice. So that that wasn't really their forte, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a thing. That was nice. uh, that was the beginning, I guess you could say, in a sense. Yeah. Never been with an Asian lady. It's great, Brandon. You should try it. Well, you should try it a few times. You should try a, di- a couple of different kinds. Uh, no. Uh, no <laughs> okay. I have a white. I there's a white lady that I like. So. Okay. Oh, okay. So you're you're currently you got something going on. I got something going on. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's that's very good to hear. Uh, that's yeah. a change of pace from Anthony Cisco's New Year's Eve show. I think we did. What was it? Was it New Year's Eve? Was it Christmas? Something like that. Gremlins too. Gremlins. 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 Um, yeah, well I was still I was I was I had not, you know, had sex for a long time, but then I broke then since then yeah, I don't want to go into details, but I've been alright. I've done alright. <laughs> You've gotten pussy, it's fine. We get, we understand, Brandon. <laughs> Brandon, I always call you Brandon, and I'm going to blame me being Mexican. It's the rude with the fact state. that I, yeah, dude, it's your Mexican. Even when yeah. I, even when I talk to Lores, I'm like blah, blah blah Brandon, and I'm like fuck, it's Brendan, and I, I don't know why I have such a problem with. We've done that. four shows, I think, with Brendan <laughs> between this show and Anthony's show, yeah. and it's always it, you can look at the bottom. It says Brendan right there on his name. I'm just retarded. Yeah. Yeah. So I just well, want to be I mean, disrespectful okay. for no reason. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> it's funny that you say that, Hans, because I'm Mexican too. Oh, I see. So yeah. Nobody you... in my family. Nobody in my That's family. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I did have this. Uh, I, okay, I had this coworker that I worked with who was Mexican. He he was um, uh, he was like a laborer. You know, um, he was like a janitor at this hotel, and I would see him, and he had he. He would say things. He had these catchphrases that he would say to me, in particular. He would say, he would say, BC. He would go, he go, BC, BC, Brendan. And then, <laughs> and then, and then the other thing he would say is, because I'd be drinking coffee, he'd be like, he'd be like, hot. He would go, hot coffee. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then, and then he would say, and then he would say, he would follow up his business because he worked eighty hours a week. Okay. Oh and he God. would say, Jesus. he would, he would be like. He would be like BC BC Brendan, and then and then he would be like make the money sign, and then yeah. he'd be like, and then he would be like por las chicas. <laughs> you know, he sounds like Dougie from Twin Peaks: The Return. Your coworker here. That's he was the Mexican Dougie. Okay. He was like Dougie Jones, but, uh, <laughs> but Dougie Jones. Is, is is that all he knew in English? <laughs> That's well, probably his, the three yeah, things I mean, his he English knew. English wasn't great, but you know we could communicate. Uh, we got some. Do you speak Spanish? A little bit. 
We got comments in the it. chat here. We got Austin Cal. Brandon needs a blonde. Huge news for Brandon heads. Very much digging the drip, low res. Well, uh, thank you. Again, this is all inspired by Brandon here. Um, cool. We got 25 people hanging out, watching the live show currently. Uh, I do think we're going to call it a night soon because it's almost midnight here on the East Coast. Okay. Um, do we have any other closing thoughts on Spike Lee, on, she, on He Got Game, on, on Hans? What? Well, Hans, <laughs> well, I love Hans. Um, we, I need to have him on Tailspin the Ball. That's a fact. Um, that would be great. I can I can send you some pictures of Costa Rican malls if you'd like. I can Hans, go. you should yeah. go to the mall to do the episode. And record it from there. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, as far as she, yeah, that would be that would be great with mobile internet in Costa Rica trying to record <laughs> audio. That would, that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, as far as she hate me, you know what kind of movie it's going to be when Anthony Mackie happens upon his co-workers um, uh, shredding documents mm-hmm. and there's a cut to him being tossed out of the you remember like ja- this? jazz from like DJ Fresh jazz Prince he's like, yeah, yeah, he's, like, <laughs> he's like hey guys what are you doing yeah, yeah, yeah. it was very yeah uh, do you think it's his worst movie Brendan or is that something else we know you, you think he got game is the best mm-hmm. what's the yes, worst I do think it's Wow. I've seen. I haven't, and I mean, I haven't seen half of them, probably. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I. It's hard to top. There's so much that's wrong with this movie, and I yeah. recommend it to anyone who wants to uh, sit and and be miserable, maybe for like the first time they view it anyway, for almost two and a half hours. And you wanted? Yeah. I, I saw it when it came out in theaters, and I didn't just because I didn't know how it was perceived. I was very sensitive to critical perception of movies. Mm-hmm. But otherwise I liked it. But otherwise I liked everything that I saw. <laughs> right. I remember you mentioning you yeah. were on the defense for Miami Vice when we had you on for the well, first my, time. But, but now, okay, now, now wait a minute. Miami Vice is excellent. I've turned the, all right, so I remember when we did that show, <laughs> I watched Miami Vice and I was just kind of, you know, yeah. I, it was better than the first time I watched it, but I still wasn't like, over the moon with it. I rewatch it again because it's on HBO Max now, both the director's cut and the theatrical cut. I think I watched the theatrical cut because I had only seen the director's cut. And um, I enjoyed it this go around. But I had also binged all of Tokyo Vice and I also binged uh, Black Hat. Did you see Black Hat? I did not. That was surprisingly good. Good. Um, I was pretty, pretty pleased with it overall. Have you revisited or seen Public Enemies? No, that's next up. I have it downloaded, as a matter of fact. I'm very ready to watch that based off of... I think you said it was shot with, like, those it's cheap DV cameras or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird aesthetic because it's a period piece shot in, you know, new wave digital technology. You know, it's uh, like a yeah. Lars von Trier. It's like a fucking dogma <laughs> movie with costumes. That sounds terrific. I, I That's next up for me. I think that will have made all of his films that I've seen at some point, once I get that one out of the way. Because I did watch Last of the Mohicans a very long time ago. very So I have, like, fragments of memory about it. So I have to give it, like, a real viewing. But that's the only one I haven't seen a minute of, is Public Enemies. Shot in Madison, Wisconsin. Where, when, when I went to college there, where I went to college, and where Michael Mann went to college. You know, nice. Yes. 
We're both University of Wisconsin alums. Are you excited for his Enzo Ferrari biopic he's got uh, lined up? I am, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. I like the I, fact that he was going to direct, was it Ford versus Ferrari? And then he passed it off to James Mangold and he produced that instead. And he's like, nah, I don't like this movie. I'm just going to, I'm going to make this movie again, <laughs> but it's my version now. We're going to cut Ford out. Fuck him. It's just going to be Ferrari. Yeah. That's the move. I like that. I think that's cool. I like that move too, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that has been movies for this week. We just had Brandon on. What was this? Your third appearance or fourth appearance now? Okay. So I, we did the Tokyo Vice. Mm-hmm. We did Miami Vice. We did something else too. We did. We did something uh, before Tokyo Vice. What did we do? Uh, so what, what do we do? Uh, uh, Man, you guys do so many of these. I know. Yeah. We went, we did a, oh, oh, everybody's losing their lights. That's my this light. episode. Um, we did a hundred episodes in a year. Oh, you know what? We did a Bright Lights, Big City, Less That's Than right. Zero. That's right. That was yes. really fun. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, still a, an enjoyable double feature if you want to uh, get a taste of the 1980s. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Dude, I just saw an amazing copy of Bright Lights, Big City at the bookstore. I, I posted on my Instagram, but it was a, it was a movie version of the book. It had oh. Michael J. Fox on the cover. Okay. So that it was a movie tie-in. Yeah. It was in good condition or something? In good oh. condition from like, you know, when the movie came out, was that 80, 89? Uh, it was 88, I think. 88, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. But I didn't, I mean, I'm, I'm fixed on books mm-hmm. for the rest of my life probably, so. Yeah, I was going to get one of those for um, Pope of Greenwich Village. There was a tie-in that was very cheap on eBay. And I was like, how can I pass this up? And I passed it up, similar to yeah. you. I was just like, yeah. I mean, it, in reality, it's just going to sit over there. Yeah. Um, I'm probably not going to read it. All right. Well, uh, we'll have to. Uh, what are you? You're talking to yourself, Hans. You're muted. Would you have a funny line? I, I, hope, said, it, I hope it was hilarious, no, was... Hans, and it won't sound as good now when you repeat it. Go ahead. Tell us your joke, Hans. I was saying that's never stopped you before. Then you just buy a copy of something that you're never going to watch just to have it. What 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 are you talking about? Talked about we just talked about it and I completely forgot what it was. You just bought a DVD for like five bucks or something of a bad movie we just talked about. She hate me. Oh yeah, well, that was the movie. That's the episode, Hans. I, see I bought you that. Got the, you've got the insert, or is that a postcard on the wall? So I bought Behind Red Hook here. Summer. I bought Red Hook Summer, and inside the the off eBay and inside the cardboard package, the seller just. So happened to include the She Hate Me slip that's on this side. It wasn't even to the She Hate Me DVD that I would get uh, weeks later. It just it was in the box. He included it. It was a little postcard. So now sorry. it's on the wall. First first uh, African-American person of color. Oh, no, actually, Bill Cosby's oh. up there, but I can't include that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about that? He, it seemed to me that the movie was just an excuse to tell the story of the Watergate security guard. That's right. Oh, yeah. You know what? That whole sequence in the parking lot, we didn't even talk about that. That was horrible. <laughs> Everyone, so everyone's all white. Oh, yeah, wow. Clever uh, line, Spike. Yeah. Great writing. And then Oliver North shows up. He wasn't even part of Watergate. Yeah. yeah. He's just trying to take jabs at everybody. He's he's yeah. obsessed with politics during that time. Yeah. It's, it's the start of it. It was like a kid who just found out about politics. It was his first red pill. Yeah. He was red pill. He just overdosed. Yeah. He was like, read Julius Evola. <laughs> yeah yeah oh well uh hopefully we can talk about another spike lee film in the future maybe we'll do That'd he got great. game good book and so she hate me he got yeah. game um, yeah, give me a good one 
to watch. <laughs> no, it's more fun to make you watch shitty movies. We should do Get on the Bus. That'd be sick. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that could constitute an entire show. It's pretty straightforward, but it's, there's so yeah. many good performances in that movie. There are. There are. It's, it's, a, it's an actress. It's, it's, it could have been a play. Mm-hmm. Maybe Certainly. it was. I don't know. Yeah, it might have been. It might have been. All right. Well, again, right. this has been Movies for This Week. Patreon.com slash Lowrez is going behind a paywall until it comes out in the Spotify feed in like a month and a half because I already used my entire Libsyn queue. So it's just going to be old episodes if you're on Patreon.com, $5 tier. Everybody go listen to Tales from the Mall. Terrific show. Great texture to it. Uh, Hans, H-word name on Twitter, and we will catch you for the next one. Thank you for listening.